There was this small town and one of its residents was turning 100 years old and no one had ever lived that long in this town before. So they made a big deal about this and they all just called him Grandpa Jones. And it was such a big deal that a reporter from a local newspaper went to the birthday party and began to interview people who've known him and were telling stories about him. And finally, the reporter had a chance to talk with Grandpa Jones and ask him some questions. And he asked him, what are you most proud of? And Grandpa Jones said, well, I think I'm most proud of the fact that I don't have any enemies. And the reporter said, wow, really? How did you manage that? And Grandpa Jones said, I've outlived every last one of them. To understand our first reading, you have to understand a little bit of the context. This is an event that happens shortly after Israel. God's people are delivered from slavery in Egypt. So you remember how that happened, right? God called Moses and he sent the ten plagues, which were a judgment upon Egypt's gods and Pharaoh who thought himself a god. And so Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they tell them, go ahead, leave, get out of here. So they pass through, remember, they pass through the Red Sea. And you would think, well, this is great, right? Smooth sailing from here on out. No, that's not how it worked. Immediately after they exit Egypt, they have all these difficulties that they encounter. So the first one is that they're hungry. They don't have enough food. And they grumble to God, and what does God do? He feeds them with manna and the quail, okay? Next problem they have, they're thirsty. They grumble to God, what does he do? He gives them water to drink from the rock. He tells Moses to strike this rock and water comes. The third problem they face was an enemy army. So we hear about the Amalekites. King Amalek was actually a descendant of Esau. And so he's arrayed with his army about to kill all the Israelites. They had been slaves, they hadn't been soldiers. But the brave Joshua assembles the men and takes the field of battle against Amalek. And what is Moses doing? Moses goes up to the mountaintop where he raises his hands with the staff. Remember that staff that God gave him that parted the Red Sea? And he raises his hands, but he gets tired, and his hands get lower. And then when, when that happens, they notice something. So when his hands are raised, the Israelites are winning the battle. When his hands fall down, they start losing. And so Aaron and Hur prop up his hand so that uh, the armies of Israel are able to completely defeat the Amalekites. And this is, for us, this is a symbol of prayer. So you see me at Mass. This is called the Oran's position. I'm, I'm required to raise my hands when I'm praying to God. And you can go back and look in, uh, in the catacombs. You'll see pictures of Christians praying like this. This comes from the Bible. Christians inherited this from the Jews, praying with hands lifted up. And so the gospel parable is also about prayer, the story that Jesus tells. In this case, he talks about this widow, and she has some kind of dispute. Her case is pending before a judge, and the judge, he's a scoundrel. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't respect people. He's, not, he's no interest in giving her justice, but she keeps bothering him so much so that he just gives her a just verdict. Now, this is not a military setting like our first reading. But in this judicial setting, there is also an adversary. Right? There is an adversary against the widow. So let me ask you, do you have any enemies? 
When we think about enemies, sometimes maybe they're, they're, it's another country we're, we're at war with or in some kind of conflict with. Maybe we th we'll think of Russia as our enemy now. Sometimes it's other political parties, especially in election season. You think of people that their parties' enemies, maybe. Or maybe it's just a personal enemy, a, a neighbor who just makes your life very difficult. But I'm not, I'm not asking you actually to call any of those enemies. We all of us have the same real enemies. And who are those? They are the fallen spiritual beings, right? We call Satan and the other one, the demons or devils. These are our enemies. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he writes this. He says, our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities and the powers and the world rulers of this present darkness with the evil spirits in heaven. All of these things that he mentions are references to spiritual, incorporeal beings that have different ranks and powers in the unseen realm. And they have certain authority or attachments to places and peoples and things like this. And Paul is saying these are our real enemies. And we see this if we look carefully in the Bible from beginning to end. From the beginning, the book of Genesis, all the way to the book of Revelation. We see this uh, other dimension of the struggle between good and evil. We see at the end, St. Michael is the leader of God's armies who leads them in his final battle against Satan and the fallen angels. And when we think about, you know, Joshua mowed down the Amalekites, we know there was a lot of warfare in the Old Testament. Almost all of it is having to do with the Israelites taking possession of the land that God promised to them. That this is a land where God would be their, their Lord. And then they would, the idea was they'd become an example, a shining light to the rest of the nations. But they had to take possession of it through a great struggle. And this is, we can, we can interpret this now in a different context as this struggle against, against the evil spirits. Okay. Who are trying to undermine, sabotage God's plan for our salvation. This is then the prayer, specifically we're encouraged to pray today. It's not just, you know, God give me this or that or I have this problem, get me out of it. It can be related to it. But especially we're encouraged to persevere in prayer that our enemies and the enemies of God be defeated. And actually, we, we pray this when we pray the Our Father. We say, deliver us from evil. The more accurate translation is, deliver us from the evil one. This month marks the 60th anniversary of the beginning of the Second Vatican Council. So this was a, a meeting of all the world's bishops convened by the Pope to... Uh, as Pope John XXIII said, Saint Pope John XXIII, that the church has these great treasures. It's this instrument of God's salvation. The church has been given immutable truths, he said, which will never change. But because there's been so much cultural changes, many people are incapable of hearing this great message. And so the church needs to rearticulate its age-old message. And so this was the purpose of the Second Vatican Council. And I studied uh, all the documents of the Second Vatican Council Seminary, and they're excellent documents, and I hope uh, probably next year, early next year, to teach uh, a course on the Second Vatican Council documents. But there was something else that was going alongside the meeting of the bishops and that happened afterwards, which Pope Benedict XVI called the so-called spirit of the council. So there were many people who were advocating changes in the church that were not at all rooted 
in the documents that were voted on by the bishops of the church. They were claiming that everything that came before was bad and that we're just going to create this whole entirely new church which will align with the spirit of the age, basically. And Pope Benedict was very concerned about this. And there are many, many examples of this. Uh, one, one of the things, though, is I think that the spirit of the Second Vatican Council did was it, um, it caused many Catholics to forget the unseen world, where there is this war in the heavens which spills upon the earth. I know in seminary, I, I, we were reading many scholars who deny the supernatural. They deny that miracles happen. You can't even really be a Christian if you don't think miracles can happen, right? Like the resurrection of Jesus and other things. But they did. Uh, these were, again, not necessarily promoted by the seminary professors, but they wanted us to read them. Some of them seemed to lean towards those positions. You have scholars who say, well, there are no real angels or demons. These are just symbols of bad and good. Or but people, people weren't really possessed. They just had psychological problems. You know? And it's interesting that Jesus makes that one of the things that he does that is most frequent in the Gospels. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He heals the sick and he exorcises people. That is, he casts out demons from them. And why, why is he doing this? Because, because of the fall, because of man's rebellion and the rebellion in heaven, right? this this realm had become under the control of those fallen spirits. And so Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to take this back for God. And that's the purpose of his exorcisms. The prayer of the church was changed to de-emphasize these realities. So from 1886 to 1965, at the end of every low mass, certain prayers were said, including the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. This was required. And then in 1965, it was ended. And interestingly, since then, the popes have actually said it's a very good prayer. We should learn it. We should pray it. In our parish, if you go to daily mass, we pray it after the daily mass. And I, I like it because, again, you can't pray the prayer, right, and not think about this reality, the unseen realm. It's so important for us. Listen, uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, which has all these fantastical things, is closer to reality than a modern materialist view that there's only physical things and energy. Hmm? So the Mass was uh, a new Mass. The Mass of Paul VI was, was put out. Uh, and, but there were other books that were changed. There's other, there's other sacraments were changed. Uh, there's something also called a Book of Blessings. And um, when I was in the seminary, I wasn't familiar about all these things, but I had some friends who were very much well-read on what things that had happened and and some of the process behind some of these changes, and they would call the new book of blessings the book of non-blessing. And the reason they would say that was because in the old book of blessings, uh, an object was always blessed, always with the sign of the cross. And some of the blessings, the new book of blessings, the prayer doesn't actually bless the object. It blesses the persons who will use the objects, which is, of course, we, we want it for the people. But, it, but then it's a bit removed from the biblical understanding that, that the enemy spirits are trying to, they're trying to gain territory. They're trying to act in space and time um, over things, not just us. Right? So I just want to give you one example by comparing the blessing for holy water. The, the, the uh, new version first and then the old version. So in the new version, the, uh, the clergy member who prays, prays that... Um, that those who make use of this water will be refreshed inwardly by the power of the Holy Spirit 
and walk in the new life they received at baptism. Now that's a great prayer. That's a good thing to ask God for. But I want you just to compare that now with what, happens in the, what happened in the old rite. And priests can still use the old, the old rite. In fact, I bless the water here, Father Ignatius and I, we use the old rite. We call it the high-octane holy water. And I'm not saying necessarily theologically, right? There's a difference. But, but the prayer is very different. The process is very different. So in the old rite, it's, it's several steps. The first thing you do, oh, you have to use salt as part of this. So the first thing you do is you exorcise the salt. And what are you doing there? What is the priest doing there? He's basically saying that this salt, which has been under the dominion of the prince of the world, as Jesus called him, Satan, we're going to remove it from his control. Okay, so the exorcism is removing it from his control. Then we're blessing it. Okay? Then we do the same with water. Remove it from the kingdom of darkness, put it into the kingdom of light. Then we mix the salt and the water, and then we say a prayer after that. And this is just part of it. It's a very long prayer, but this is part of it. Be water now no longer in the power of our enemy, but availing rather to put all his power to flight, to dislodge the enemy with all his rebel angels, and to rid the earth of them through the power of Jesus Christ our Lord, who is coming to judge the living and the dead and the world by fire. Right. This gives you a sense of the tremendous adventure, mystery that is this, the full reality, which includes the unseen realm. You see, God has called you and I to be partners with him, part of his heavenly army in overcoming evil, the triumph of good over evil. Now, first of all, the first most important battle is the battle within. We are to subdue by his grace our sinful inclinations. Secondly, though, we are called to influence those around us, the world around us, the culture, the society even, to influence these on behalf of the kingdom, to bring them into the kingdom through being prophetic witnesses, workers of mercy, and advocates of justice. But God has made all of this dependent. Like whether we're going to make progress in this or not is entirely dependent on prayer. And this is the point of our readings today. See, prayer keeps us close to God and enables us to become channels of godly power in the world. Luke introduces the parable by saying Jesus told this story to convey to his disciples the necessity for them to pray always without getting weary. Now we understand Moses getting tired, right? I mean, if you hold your hands up for a long time, your shoulders are going to get tired, your arms are going to get tired. But how is it that we become weary of praying? Well, it's not a physical fatigue, but it can be mental, emotional, and spiritual. We can become weary of praying by distractions. I think, I think the, our attention span, because of our devices and all these things, is about this long. <laughs> so, so, yes, we, we don't have the attention span for it, because we have actually, uh, we have diminished our own attention spans by giving into distractions so often. We can become weary of praying just through busyness, having different priorities. Those consume our, our energies and we don't have energy to pray. We can become weary of praying sometimes when we feel that, ah, my prayer is not working. My prayer is not working. I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't get what I asked for. My prayer is not working because uh, I didn't feel this warm, tingly feeling inside when I was praying. 
But Jesus is teaching us today to have faith that our prayers make a difference. That our prayers enable the holy army of angels to gain the upper hand. In the old rite of blessings, there was often a back and forth between the priests and the people, and, and the people memorized their lines. So I'm going to teach you one of the things, one of the lines to memorize. It comes from scripture. It comes from the psalm that we just sung, Psalm 121. And we're going to use a slightly different translation of it. So I say a part, and then you're going to respond. So I say, our help is in the name of the Lord, and you say, who made heaven and earth. Let's try it. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Once more. Our help is in the name of the Lord. 